hello, and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my wife, Janet, and we have the pleasure of having Dr. Haley Miller on our show today. She is an internal medicine doctor that specializes in diabetes and from Mountain States Diabetes in Missoula, Montana. Dr. Miller, welcome to our show. And so, Janet, you want to start with questions for her? Well, I, I guess um, what interests you into treating patients uh, with diabetes? Well, you know, I really wanted to not want to do diabetes. When I went into medicine, I wanted to be a doctor my entire life, but I got diabetes when I was 10. So I tried throughout my entire career to think, to find something that I didn't, didn't like better than diabetes, and it just kind of stuck with me. Um, and it, you know, it was kind of my passion. And when you're on your derm rotation and trying to find interesting diabetes things and you're on your surgery rotation and creating your presentation about diabetes and surgical complications, after, after the fifth or sixth presentation, it, you have to kind of realize, okay, I'm really interested in this and I, I like doing it and this is kind of my niche. So I went with it. Doesn't, doesn't pay as well as surgery, but all right, so let, let's talk a little bit about, um, and diabetes is very complicated, and internal medicine in general, and, and you're right, it takes a lot of time to, to talk to your patients, and, um, and um, it's a you know, constant long-term, long-term um, commitment. So tell us about the complications of diabetes. We always hear about the complications of diabetes. Let's talk about complications of diabetes, first of all. Let, let's go into that, just uh, make a list. Uh, a list? So if you can name an organ, you can find a complication associated with diabetes, or you can uh, identify an impact of diabetes. Um, and so there are, there are so many more complications. We, we always think of um, ophthalmic disease or ophthalmologic disease, um, so retinopathy and blindness, um, nephropathy or kidney disease, um, and neuropathy with that then leads to progressive like amputations and that's what we always think about that's what we always hear about it but there are skin conditions gut conditions lower like both bowel and stomach motility issues constipation diarrhea skin conditions breast conditions reproductive conditions um I mean, I, it, that's a lot, but <laughs> you know, it, it does have a significant impact yeah. on the brain and the heart as well. So, um, there's not anything that it doesn't affect other than maybe hair. Uh, and so I think about eyes, I think about kidneys, I think about, you know, people losing their feet. Um, mm -hmm. you know, those are some serious complications from, from diabetes. Now, yeah. is it necessarily when you get the diabetes diagnosis that those are the complications you're going to have? Or is it the uncontrolled glucoses that actually cause those complications? Well, you know, it really depends. So if we um, identify, so for people with type 1 diabetes, it really has to do more with the, the it, it's kind of a mix. It's one, the, the appropriateness and the, the stability of glycemic control or how well, how stable the blood sugars are. Um, but two, it's also um, your underlying risk and your, basically your genetic um, predispositions to different diseases and every person with diabetes is a different person and some people have um, their body that it tolerates a lot more stress than other people and some folks just unfortunately are 
they, they are programmed or their body um, is more susceptible to the complications and they develop complications a lot more quickly. So because we can never predict who's going to be what, it's better for all for folks with diabetes to really focus on maintaining appropriate control because you don't want hindsight to be 2020 um, when you're thinking about the complications. So that's right. Because right, most of those complications may or may not be reversible. Once once you have yeah. to remove and amputate, it's too late. There's no going back. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, so, I mean that that particularly. We're, I, I think that the number of amputations has declined because of the aggressive interventions um, that have been implemented over the last decade. But, you know, the diabetes remains the leading preventable cause of blindness, um, as well as um, end-stage renal disease and dialysis. And those two things are things that people don't really, like, you, they, you don't think about it when you're young and when you're kind of establishing that that metabolic memory. And so most of the time, the, the damage that we inflict that, that results in that, you know, it, it can be incurred when we're very young at the early diagnosis. So what is the best way to um, monitor and make sure that you don't, that you um, have controlled blood sugars to monitor and, um, you know, to treat? What's the best way? Right, let's, let's go with type 1 diabetes. <laughs> So with type 1 diabetes, you know, with, and, and really it, it, the, the principles are very similar, but really close monitoring, I believe continuous glucose monitoring makes a significant difference and improves people's ability to manage their diabetes um, and understand the impacts that their different activities can have. Um, monitoring appropriate medications, um, providing medications, um, and then also eating, eating a diet that's healthy and that doesn't, you know, it, it's following a healthy lifestyle that's really a critical to, to balance those blood sugars. And so, you know, it, it really is a combination of factors, but maintaining everything and being on it, the, the challenge with that is that it then leads to everybody with diabetes goes through different phases of burnout. So, um, being able to be consistent and and find a way to do it as as simply as possible as possible makes it a lot easier to achieve better control, I guess. So tell us about. Sometimes I think there's a um, you know maybe a misnomer that we do realize. I think people are pretty um, educated that type two diabetes is definitely you know, can be controlled with diet and sometimes reversed with diet and, and lifestyle. But sometimes um, patients that have, or people that know about type 1 diabetes, they'll think that type 1 diabetes is just something you get genetically um, and possibly, and that you don't have to worry about your diet. Can you um, expand on that? Yeah, I think that that was a trend that happened maybe in the early 2000s, you know, the insulin pump, like late 90s, early 2000s, the insulin pumps out and insulin is the way we treat it. And so it's a very easy thing for us to just kind of, we just give the insulin and it takes care of everything. Um, and there was a real focus, I think, back in those days of making every kid feel like they were normal and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there were a bunch of different things, but it set, set up for some real challenging behaviors. You know, the unfortunately, um, no matter how 
consistent you are at giving insulin, the insulin is it the, the way that it works, the pharmacokinetics of in, insulin injection or insulin um, infusions, it, it doesn't work quickly enough to take care of the postprandial spikes that we see. And so consuming really high um, carb or refined carbohydrates, it will boost blood sugars a lot more rapidly than we can physiolog- than we can replace the insulin if we're giving it exogenously. So meaning that food will spike the blood sugars and we can't get the insulin enough fast enough to um, appropriately manage it. And so, you know, you can plan to do it in, and that would be, you know, you, it's like, I'm going to eat something bad in an hour and a half. Like, but it's, it's hard to get that target exactly where you need to, to get it. And, you know, if we overdo it, then you, the, you drop low. If you underdo it, there's high. And it's, it's really hard with some foods to get it to where the insulin is appropriately matched. So tell us what makes your practice different. Um, you're, a, you're a direct primary care practice or direct care practice, and there's a reason you went that way. Can you tell us a little bit of that about that um, story? So um, the, way, the, the way that most um, practices work with diabetes is you go and you see the doctor. Um, most clinics are booked out months and then you get 30 minutes with the doctor, maybe. Um, usually it's about 17 minutes in, in person. And then the rest of the care is managed by um, the additional providers that are, are there. Um, it's it's um, incredibly expensive and it is not particularly accessible. And Unfortunately, the doctors then are seeing so many people that they don't really know the patient that comes in. They don't know them well. It's not someone who's like, oh, I remember this about you because they have 5,000 different people that they're taking care of. Um, so I, um, I don't believe in a, that a 15-minute appointment is good for diabetes. I think that it, is, does, it does not address everything that needs to be addressed. Um, and it, it causes more harm than it does benefit for most people. And so I wanted to do, um, I wanted to have a clinic that followed a model that patients could see me, we can get them in and I can have a a long appointment with them. Um, I have a set number of patients so that I know them when they call or text and they need something, um, and to where I can be available to help them with their disease process, but also maintain my own kind of quality of life um, as a physician to where I'm not burned out. I mean, writing 20 notes at the end of the day is no one's favorite thing. Um, I mean, everybody hates it. And working in that kind of environment, you know, you're charging someone 600 bucks for a visit for 15 minutes. And the whole point of that game is to uh, generate more revenue in a shorter amount of time. And that's just not in the patient's best interest. So it seemed like a ripoff. I felt guilty. I wasn't able to, you know, I was being kind of dinged for not providing like quicker care instead of providing better care. 
And so I went the direction of direct care, um, where instead of paying $600 for labs, patients get their labs for free, or it's 12 bucks. Um, and where they have direct access to, to me 24-7, their first visits are 90 minutes, and um, you know they can see me as many times as they want, and they don't have to worry about having to pay for that in the long run. So it's a more affordable approach to care, um, and I think it's a lot more personalized as well. So tell us, what is it? What is a monthly fee um, at Mountain States Diabetes? So it depends. So I have a couple of different um, packages that are basically um, depending on. It depends on the needs. So for folks with diabetes, for diabetes only, it's about uh, it's seventy five dollars a month, and that includes visits um, and an annual blood work. And then A1Cs are included in that every three months. Um, but if folks want me to be their primary care and their um, diabetes doctor, it's a little bit more just because it's a little bit more cost for me to do more stuff. Absolutely. So. But still, that's very, very affordable. $75 yeah. a month. Um, yeah. My guess is that because you don't bill any insurance, is that correct? Um, I actually build Medicare Part B okay. right now because um, I am too chicken to opt out. But I'm going to assume with most people's commercial insurances, most of them pay more than $75 a month um, for a doctor anyway with their co-pays and, and the yeah. like. You agree? Well, more. I, and, you know, I before this, I worked for a major hospital. Um, so I'm a doctor with insurance by the hospital. Um, and I paid uh, well over $900 just in the co-pays for my physician visits. I mean, the thing that people don't get is that you have your insurance card and it says, oh, $45 copay. But the rest of the visit isn't covered unless it's, if it's not a wellness visit, the rest of it, the visit isn't covered. They just bill you on the back end. And so you get a random bill at the end. It's like, well, you haven't met your deductible, so you have to pay the rest of it. And, you know, most people their insurance is going up, 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 up. You have this higher and higher and higher deductible. And now they have, you know, individual deductibles and family deductibles. So you might've met your deductible, but then you have the family deductible to me. And so you never really, you never really kept up. I mean, it really is for most people with type one diabetes, for them to meet their deductible, it's usually um, October. And it's, it's just like that with, with, um, type two as well, you know, and you're getting it, you're getting to October, you've paid all of that money. And then you have to start back over um, from scratch in January. So I mean, yeah, it, it just seems like a racket. It, it just really yeah. does. And, and, and the worst thing of it's not just the cost, the worst thing of it, the care, like you were talking about is not near yeah. as good. That's what's great about what you are doing. You were able to offer personalized care one-on-one -on -one without anybody, any third party in between. It's between you and the patient. And that is just awesome. Yeah. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and, and it really is, it's made a tremendous difference for me as a provider to be happy and invested in what I'm doing. Um, but it also, I think, makes a big difference for patients to have. You know, they call, like with the other clinics, they call and the goal of the clinic is to make it to where it's like, okay, you're not going to talk to the doctor, you're not going to talk yeah. to the doctor. Like, I answer the phone usually in the afternoon if I'm not if I'm not in with a patient. I and love that it. is not something that most people really expect. 
but it's something that where, you know, we want them to feel like they have a doctor right at their fingertips. So I think the misunderstanding when we have the insurance company as the consumer is that the patient gets lost and, and the tools that they need in their toolbox is not given to them because the consumer, the, i.e. the insurance company doesn't really care how many tools they get to, to manage their diabetes. And my experience as a pharmacist has been, we just keep throwing insulin or more drugs at a patient rather than teach them the lifestyle skills that they need that they can do in their own home without buying another you know, prescription or adding on more insulin. Because I feel like if they had chances to learn and had the opportunity to communicate with a healthcare professional that they would access that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think so too. You know, diabetes educators do an an excellent job, but the other challenge with that is that some insurance companies don't cover diabetes education. Um, Usually they won't let you see a diabetes educator at the same visit. And so then it's, you know, it, when we're all super busy and trying to do things, the last thing people want to do is to come back and it's like, right. oh, we're you know, it, I mean, most of the people that I know are just like, I don't want to go and learn that. I can read it online. I mean, and, and it literally, that's what everybody thinks. It's like, oh, I can go read about it. I don't need to go learn about it. No one wants to go and learn about something. But, you know, it does make a difference. It's just that it, it makes it a lot less accessible because it's not readily available for people. So you're you're pretty new at this venture, correct? Yeah, yep. Opened in March. Awesome. All right. So tell us, what's uh, the most dramatic? Do you have a dramatic story yet about how you've really impacted a type one diabetic's life? Um, dramatic story about type one or type? I mean, I Either can one. do all the kinds. Of yeah. Let, let's start with type one, then we'll go to type two. You mean since I opened? Yes, correct. Yeah, I know. I'm putting you on the spot. That wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Or can you see, what can you see as, I, I bet you see some patient transitioning right now, whether it be a type 1 or type 2 diabetic, and how you can really impact their life and how you couldn't have if you're in traditional practice. Right. Well, I mean, I think one of the ways is that they have access to me and they can see me right away. And so, um, you know, I have patients who are calling, they'll be like, well, I need to get in and it's been this long and I haven't done this. I'm like, don't worry, we can do it when, when works for you well, I have to work until here, and so I have to ask for work off, and I'm, okay, when when do you not work? Well, I guess this time I'm like, okay, that works. We can handle it. And that makes a difference because then they have access. Um, the other kind of area where I see, a, I've seen a big advantage is that people, it's, you know, when you're working in the clinic, you're like, okay, it's time for labs, and they're like, well, I don't know if I can swing that yet. Because the labs really, literally, that we build to insurance at the hospital or at, at any any organization, the routine labs, we're talking standard labs, cost, they, they bill insurance and then 600 bucks. And so people are like, oh, I don't know if we can swing it this, right. this month or if we can do it. Um, the labs aren't worth 600 bucks. That's what they charge for them, but that's not what they're worth. worth. But so if you have a high deductible plan, you go to the lab, you get the lab drawn and then you end up having to pay the rest of that bill. Um, but with our, the, the labs actually cost $12 or $12.50 to get all of the labs drawn. And that's included in the thing. So it's not an issue where people have to worry about kind of making sure that they can afford it. It's something where it's just like, no, go get the labs. No, don't worry. We got it. Um, 
it's covered. And I think that that makes a difference. So we have everybody's getting their labs drawn. You know, I mean, I, I, there are loads of success um, with people who come to me and then their blood sugars improve. But I think the bigger success is the folks who stay with me and their blood sugars stay well controlled. And I think that makes a, is a little bit, it's something where it's not just a, a sudden change. It's a long, long-term change. So what do you, um, what do you foresee, what do you see the future of medicine is with um, direct care like, like you're doing? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is that it's, it's incredibly intimidating to providers. Um, and so I think that that's, I don't, I don't know what, I mean, I know all about it because I'm in it now. Um, I just, it's hard to imagine what the uptake will be just because I'm here and I'm not, I don't know what the other providers are. Well, there's definitely, you can see the direct primary care movement growing. So, and you can see that there's some specialists that are venturing out now, whether it be orthopedics or whether it be urology or, or like yourself, um, and, and following some of those direct primary care. Cause, um, because I'm thinking, you know, I, I imagine you get some, some referrals from direct primary care, um, already, correct? Yeah, we do. Um, and I, you know, it's a really collaborative group. So it's something to where if someone has a question, I can help them out. And then if I have a question, they help me out. And that makes a big difference as well. Um, I think, I personally think that this is the direction that healthcare should go. Yeah. Um, this is the direction we should all go, but it takes courage and, um, and that kind of knowledge that, okay, yes, this is the better way to do things and I can do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm just a doctor. I am not a business person, but it's not, it's something that I can do. And I'm willing to make that, that change. I, I hope that it, it catches a lot more momentum and more folks do it. Um, I guess my biggest concern is that then once everybody starts doing it, then corporations and private equity get involved and, um, try to, um, take over. And that's, yeah, and that's what's very important is that you doctors yeah. all band together and stay independent. I mean, you guys need right. to be in charge of the system, and that's kind of what's evolved over the last 30 years and why the system became a mess is because you guys kind of lost control. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime you delegate control and you have, you know, it's, I mean, it's any wonder that it's it costs so much. You know, everybody is looking to profit off of what we do, but you have 50 different people who are trying to make it work on one with one person generating revenue. It's silly to have so many people working who are trying to get money when it really shouldn't be like, we shouldn't be charging patients or charging the insurance companies thing for things that are, you know, it, if we take everything out of, of that, it, it makes it a lot more transparent, a lot more like direct. And then this is what it is. And this is what it costs. And this is what it is worth. And, I'm not going to charge you 50 times what it's worth. I'm going to charge you. What yeah, it's worth. it really I mean, should. It really should. Right. It really should be that simple. And that's part of the problem when there's a third party insurance involved is that yeah. it's really easy to overcharge them. I mean, of course, you know, um, and it, when it's a patient standing in front of your face, 
it's really harder to charge that direct consumer that's in front of your face yeah. $600 for labs that should be $12 because you got to, right. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that's so weird about it is that it's also not, um, like it's not legal when, when you're working with the insurance to underbill. Like I can't say, yeah, but you know, I know you're going through a hard time and we're going to just, it, I'm it, just going to bill you this month or don't worry about it. I'm writing this off. You can't do that. It's actually illegal. So right. that's what's so crazy about it. But with now, if someone can't pay me, it's like, okay, don't worry about it. Well, we can figure this out. Let me help you out. Um, and that's, I think one of the things that I've really appreciated about this particular kind of model is that I have patients, some of them, um, are, you know, they, it's, they pay me with different kind of, they pay me with, you know, their service or their, you know, we exchange professional services so that it's not, you know, if they can't swing the monthly payment, I'm not a giant monster who's going to come after them and bankrupt them. I mean, it's, they should have access to healthcare. And what's interesting about that is that the big corporate the corporate big corporate entities that make billions, whether it be hospitals or whether it be you know corporate healthcare um, big um, conglomerates, I mean they send people to collection for these bills that are astronomical, um, and yet they make billions in profit. And I'm not I am not against profit. I'm a capitalist. I have nothing wrong with with people making a profit. But many of these hospitals are public hospitals that were. Or not-for-profit hospitals that were meant to right. kind of give away charity, and their charity that they say they give away is when they bill the insurance six hundred dollars for labs and they write off three hundred dollars because the insurance only paid three hundred. That's their charity. That's what they call charity. When in reality right. they just charged, you know, five hundred dollars too much in the first place. Yeah, that's right. I mean that that's the thing that's um, it just it's actually. It's sickening how how much things are over how much people are overcharged for care um, for and it's really just for a bottom line and the profit right. it's profitability and that I think um, the other thing that I don't think a lot of enough people are talking about because it does seem kind of I don't know maybe it's conspiracy e but with hospitals owning hospitals make their money. From patients being hospitalized and doing things to patients. So you have this perverted incentivization. You're doing stuff to patients. I get way more money if I can get XYZ and a surgery and this if if the, right. the hospital makes more money if we get all that done. Um, and it seems like the clinics that are owned by the hospitals are just basically funnels to get those that business into the hospital. And so essentially the hospital doesn't care if the outpatient care is good. It doesn't. I mean, because in fact, it, they right. make more money if the patient has a heart attack. They make more money if the patient actually ends up getting uh, amputation. I, I know that sounds draconian, but really... They yeah. like people being sick, and even in a model, even in with diabetes, for instance, yeah. they don't want their blood sugars. To, you could argue that they don't want them to be well, and their blood sugars should con be controlled because then they won't need they didn't won't need to, to, to go to the hospital. Yeah, Whereas, they make a lot more money off of cardiology by doing cats. Right, and so is we have to maintain that balance to where the people keep coming in, and diabetes is a major risk factor for a bunch of different. Um, really highly lucrative procedures. Um, 
And, and I know that, and my colleagues in all of those different um, fields, they, they want to help too, but they're, I mean, no one really sees what the game is. Well, I I honestly think Dr. Miller, I, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are physicians in the system and they, and they, they know that it's wrong, but they're also, their hands are kind of tied. Yeah. So until they can get out of the system, they kind of if they kill, still want a job. They got to keep doing this stuff, and a lot yeah. of them don't enjoy it at all. Yeah, I think that that's the the biggest challenge. I mean, doctors are are burned out everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I think many of them, in part, it's because they have this conflict, and it's like, no, I could do this for way less, or this this just seems wrong that we're doing this, that, and the other to the person, but you don't have time to think about it because you have to get to the next person. Right. And the ones who are really successful, meaning financially, the ones that can pay the best are the ones that can get a patient in and out in five minutes. And that sounds horrible. And it is. Right. But a five minute appointment. Right. I mean, seriously, sometimes it takes me five minutes to get to the computer on. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's just not that much at all, for sure, to no. get a good history and all that stuff. No. Yeah, it's impossible. Unless, unless they just need stitches, and you're great at stitches. Yeah, but di- yeah. diabetes is not urgent care. I mean, it's not an urgent well, care diabetes, no. diabetes, I don't think they should reimburse diabetes visits unless they are the physician spends at least 30 minutes with the patient. I don't think that a diabetes visit should be reimbursable. Um for insurance, and, and that's me talking about insurances, but I also think that that's something that um, needs to be kind of pushed is that this is the standard. We expect much longer visits. And if, I mean, if it works better to have them in group visits, I mean, I'm all for that if you can do it. But the focus should be on providing the care to the patient and providing the education to the patient, not documenting that I did the care to the patient. Right. Right. That's what most of it is. is yeah me collecting information so I can bill you more. Yeah. And that's super messed up. It is. Now, now one thing I like about your model is literally, so you charge somebody $75 a month, depending on, depending on the acuity level or the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, unlike the hospital model where they want people to be sick, in theory, because of your model, the healthier you keep your people, the, the less busy you are. So you're going to make the same amount of money no matter what, and you don't want a patient calling you or contacting you every day because you couldn't afford that. You literally could not afford that. So the more education you can give the patient and the more that you can empower them to take care of themselves and educate them in that manner, the better both of you are going to be. That's what I like about your model. Absolutely. And and also, I think, I mean, the education, providing the right medications um, is really important. Um and so the right medications at the right time when people need, I mean, there are certain things, times where people definitely need medications forever, but there are times where we could do, if we do the right medications at the right time, we can get people, um, and with aggressive lifestyle modification, we can put their diabetes into remission, we can put them down, and then they go down into the kind of nice remission, and then we're cool for, you know, two to three to five years, and lifestyle modification, maybe with a tiny bit of metformin can make a big difference, but... We have to give them the tools up front in order to get them there. And one of the other things that's so challenging that with diabetes in particular is that the diabetes medications are incredibly expensive. And the cheap medications aren't aren't as good. They lead to weight gain and and problems. And so and and they kind of counteract like the whole goal of improving lifestyle as far as far as eating less 
exercising more because they increase the risks of hypoglycemia. And so if we use the right therapy at the right time, then it makes makes a huge difference in um, people's success in getting to that, either that remission or having the appropriate um, control. And I think that early implementation of using SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1s is really important for glycemia. But the problem with the cost is that, you know, most doctors, when you have too many patients, you don't have time to do prior auths all for right. everyone. And so that's one of the things that my clinic focuses on is that if, if the medicine's not covered, we'll do everything we can to get it either covered by insurance or to find a way to get it to where it's affordable. Cause I don't want people paying hundreds of dollars a month for a medication that I know that we can get for way less. Well, um, that, let's that, insurance companies cover them. So right. I, thousands of dollars a month. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, not just hundreds. Not, I mean, no one in my patients, no, no, none of my patients ever pay. Um, like that, it's it's a big no no. I'm a cheapskate, and good for you. No, one's <laughs> <pay>. <laughs> no one's gonna pay thousands of bucks. If I have to give the people the medications, I'll do that before I. Yeah, you're an advocate it. for your patient. That's and that's what a doctor should be, honestly. Yeah. So as we wrap this podcast up, first of all, I appreciate you being on, and and you've definitely met our goal of educating and empowering. Um, patients on how they can take charge of their own health. That's, that's what you do. Uh, you, you educate di- diabetics so they can do that. So thank you for doing that. Um, as we wrap up, what, what do you have a passion for? What drives you? Other than diabetes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you made that already pretty obvious, right? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to think of other things that I really like. I, I'm, diabetes is kind of, it's, this is what I do for fun too. It's, it's bizarre. I'm kind of a very simple person. I mean, I love to ski and hike and I love paddle boarding and I have dogs that I yell at a lot, but, <laughs> um, I am spending time with my family, yeah, but awesome. it's, I mean, I have, I have other hobbies, but this is the, if there is one thing I'm passionate about, it's diabetes and I, I think, yeah, I think you've made that pretty apparent over the last 30 yeah. minutes. So thank you. I'm pretty boring. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm to everybody who doesn't have diabetes. So. so if somebody wants to get a hold of you at Mountain States Diabetes, what's the best way? So I think the easiest is just to go to my website, which is montanadiabetes.com. And um, there is a link to contact me. You can send a message through the contact us or you can call. There's a link to call. Um, or they can email me at Haley, uh, dot Miller at Montana diabetes.com. It's, it's easier to mountain states. Diabetes seemed too long. So we just went with the state, instead. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's uh, the website's the easiest way to get a hold of me because that all funnels right into my Awesome. My awesome. Well, I appreciate you yeah. being on today and, yeah. um, thank you for, for educating and empowering consumers with diabetes. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, listeners and viewers, for tuning in and watching. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.